I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're recording 10:33 after the Celtics end up losing in Oklahoma City to the Thunder. Joining us now, it is the boss, Bill Simmons. Bill, I thought they were going to get blown out at one point in the third quarter. They made a fight of it in the fourth, but it's the first time I think all season long where I watched a Celtics game and I thought they may not be the most athletic team on the court. Like at times tonight, Oklahoma <laughs> City looked more athletic and it's a very rare thing to see. But I, I do like, and look, there's no moral victories, but I do like the way that they fought back in the fourth quarter. And I thought one thing, finally, they put Tatum on Shea because I don't remember a time where Drew Holiday and Derek White both got blown by on defense in the first quarter of the game. That's what happened with Shea. I think it just took him a little too long to get to that adjustment. I was on a text thread with a couple of Celtic fans talking about this was before the game. Would Joe put Tatum on SGA, A, and then B, when would he do it, right? Because I think SGA and Brunson are similar. You saw, I don't know if you saw Knicks, Minnesota the other night, but they threw McDaniels on Brunson and Brunson had a lot of issues with it. Like you have those, these smaller guards and SJ is like six, five, six, six, but I want length on him. I think white probably has a better chance, but I think they were probably worried about the foul trouble with him, but they waited, they waited, they put Jalen on him. And honestly, he kind of torched Jalen and he did pretty much whatever he wanted with any guard. And then I thought Tatum had some real success against him in the fourth quarter And Brian, this was the big question I had with this team. If they actually want to win the title, it can't. And and where Tatum is at at his point in his career, there's going to be games where they don't need him to be the number one scorer in the team. What they need is defense and rebounding. He finished the game with 13 rebounds. I thought he played some really good defense on uh, on SJ down the stretch. And Porzingis carried more of the offense load. The the guy that really just killed them in the game was Jalen. This was a bad 2023 playoffs J 
Jalen performance. He couldn't shoot. He had his typical three unforced error turnovers and uh, and wasn't good on defense either. And I think if he played better, I think they would have won. Yeah, and I think that sort of, I don't want to say the most aggravating part, because if you go back to like the beginning of the season, we had questions about Jalen. And then in the month of December, he sort of turned it around. He cut back his three-point shooting. Now in this game today, he took eight three-pointers, and it felt like he had no confidence in that shot whatsoever. But the bigger point with that is, you're right. I mean, you lose this game by four points, and a guy that has been so good for you over the past month and change, he was just atrocious in this game. And it's I his do first think, bad one in a while. Yeah, and I do, and I do think that if this game happened six weeks ago, I would have been concerned about it. But today, I just sort of chalk it up to he had a bad afternoon, which I, or the bad evening, I should say. And I guess that's the good thing is Jalen played this poorly. And you were still in the game. And to your point on Tatum, I think it's a great one because Porzingis carried them in the first half. In the first quarter, he had 12 points. And I do feel like in some sense, I don't know what happened in the third quarter where they got they lost that quarter 40 to 25. And it felt like what got them the lead was playing through Porzingis. We saw this so many times on the road trip, going back to a couple of games in that series where the Lakers game, third quarter, they play through Porzingis. You go to the Kings game, they play through Porzingis in the third quarter. The third quarter had been an issue for this team for a large portion of the season. They fixed this. I'm just trying to figure out what happened tonight I in have the answers third quarter. For you. Okay. So I think part of their game plan, first of all, their defense lost on this game. And we could talk about the third quarter, but then we talk fourth quarter too. One of their game plans here was, hey, Josh Giddy, we're not afraid of you. Yeah. Feel free. Go nuts. They just let him Josh shoot. G Josh Giddy was good in this game. First of all, he went four for seven from three, which he's an awful three-point shooter. So, And they all of those, they were like, please take those. And they actually made them. And they were putting Porzingis on them. They were cheating Porzingis and trying to see if they could get away with him where they weren't afraid of Giddy shooting. Put Porzingis on him, and then Porzingis can come and help on some of the other players. Well, not only was Giddy making threes, but a couple times he went by Porzingis and created shots. I just thought he played really well. He only played 27 minutes. He had 23 points. He was plus 10. He had his usual rebound assist combo. So that was that. And then in the fourth quarter, it was really three defensive possessions. I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but Chet hit two big threes in the last couple of minutes. Both of them were Porzingis doing the Rob Williams Memorial. I'm out with my hand up, but I'm I'm a step and a half back from where I actually should be. And Chet was able to line up and make it. And then the one that shocked me. So, OKC, they need a basket in the last minute. Uh, Jalen Williams has the ball and it's SGA. Tatum's on SGA and White's on Jalen Williams. And they get a switch to get SGA on White. And then Jalen Williams takes Tatum off the dribble and he scored on him. And yeah. that was the game, because if they get a stop there, I actually think the Celtics could have won. So to me, those three possessions were the killers in the fourth quarter. And then just Giddy just playing really well, I thought really hurt him. Yeah. When there's two other, one other play I would say is I felt like, all right, Pritchard deserved time to stay in the game because of the way that he played. But at the yep. end of the game, when it's a defensive possession, I would have rather see Drew Holiday on the court because oh, Jalen Oh, Williams you would have? You think? <laughs> really? <laughs> because you see what happened? He ends up on the ground. Jalen yeah. Williams just goes right through him and he gets an easy opportunity at the bucket. And then the other thing, to your point about Porzingis, the dagger Chet three, I guess technically it wasn't the dagger because the Celtics had a chance on the other end. Porzingis yeah. is just on that play and it's tough to criticize Porzingis after the evening he just had, but there was no reason to help there. Like Tatum 
Shea had not beaten Tatum yet. Right. Tatum had him at the top of the key, and he's trying to drive on Tatum. It wasn't like he had created an advantage where Porzingis has to cheat off Chet, and instead he sort of cheated off him on that play. And then I would say the other thing that sort of aggravated me in this game, and this happened in the Warriors game too, Shea picked up his fourth foul with 8.52 left oh, in the God. third quarter, and they were hiding him, right? So what I don't understand is, it, and it's not like the Celtics played well offensively. As we mentioned, they only had 25 points in that third quarter. Even a guy like Sam Hauser, who was getting guarded by Shea, they're purposely doing that because they don't think you'll put Hauser in any action. And guess what the Celtics do? They don't put Hauser in any action. Instead, he's just hanging out by the three-point line. And I thought that was an opportunity to try to take advantage of the game is try to get that fifth foul on Shea. And I give them a lot of credit, OKC, Dagnall, because this is something Brad Stevens used to do. He wouldn't take his guys out. When they got yep. in foul trouble, because Brad's rationale was, okay, well, what am I just going to lose five minutes, pick to take him out of the game with five minutes? And the other bet that Brad used to make, which I think is the same bet that Dagnall bet on Missoula, is they won't go after him. I can hide my best guy, and they're not going to actually go after him. So well, what was the it? One, it was eight minutes left in the third quarter when he got the fourth min- foul? 8.52, almost nine minutes left in yeah, the Because when the that third- happened, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to win. They're going to. Yeah. But you're right. They didn't attack him. There's all kinds of things they could have done, and maybe they'll learn from this, but even like they could have played three guards at the same time. You got to make him guard somebody and, and at least be in the mix, and it didn't feel like he was in the mix defensively at all. I agree that that was a huge mistake. Yeah, it just doesn't really make sense to me that when, especially it'd be one thing if it's just some random player, but it's when a guy's on his way to having a 30-plus point performance, it would seem like that's sort of the time that you want to go after well, he well do you want to talk about the big picture angle of this game and i i i thought i was on termini and eddie johnson's um show today and i was saying how we do this ringer 100 that we we hand in our list like every month and i put sga over tatum i put i put him five because i've watched too many of these games where he goes mano a mano with the other team's best player and his team wins or he does better and i was just like I just think he's been more consistent in games like this. You watched the game today. It was really close because Tatum did a lot of good stuff. That, I mean, he had his usual. How many times does he just do the 28-foot pull-up three where you're like, what are you doing? He did in both halves, right? There, on Chet. There was like a, on Chet. This, on he Chet. Th- just go by him. Bounce into yeah. him. Get a foul. So he's still doing that. But I loved how hard he played. I love how hard the, the Celtics played. Um, but SGA was a tiny bit better, and I feel like that's why they won. I will say this, though, Brian. Um, I think there were two awesome Celtic games this year that really felt like finals games. And it was this one and it was the Minnesota game. And they, they played other really good games. Like the one of the Miami games was good early in the season. They, there's, they, they've had good games. The Golden State game was super entertaining. The, this game and the Minnesota game felt finals level. With, so even if you look at the Celtic stats, they took 43s. They took 29 free throws. That's kind of where we want them to be, right? I don't want yeah. them to take 55 threes. I thought they went to the rim hard. I thought when they needed baskets, they had really nice balance. The threes they took, I thought were good. White was fantastic again. And weirdly, it was good. This is the seventh loss of the season. Six of them, they could have won. And they could have won this one. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And They actually, because what happened in the Warriors game is they didn't take advantage of what the Warriors don't do well. The Warriors are terrible in terms of defending without following. They follow like crazy. The Thunder, that's one of their weaknesses is they follow a ton. They commit, I believe it's the fifth most fouls in the NBA, or they give up the fifth most free throws. And the Celtics actually did get to the free throw line in this game. And you look at 
Tatum in this one, he takes 10 free throws. Porzingis takes nine. And even in this bad Jalen game, he still gets eight free throw attempts, which you like to see right. that from your star players because this is something that they've struggled with in the past. And, and, and 33 assists. Yeah. So, I mean, the offense was not the problem in this game. The was defense that? became the issue in the game. And it felt like it took them too long, as we mentioned earlier, to get to that Jason Tatum matchup. The one other critique I would have in this game is they're down 18. Now, they make a comeback in the fourth quarter, but they're down double-digit points to start the fourth. And they come out with a lineup of Al Horford and Luke Cornett. If you're trying to make a comeback in this game, you need to do it offensively. And I don't think Cornette played poorly in this game. I just don't understand the combination at that point of the game to go with the double big lineup there. That, to me, was just a perplexing decision to go with those two guys on the court. If anything, I would say try to go small because if you look at that Thunder team, they don't play two bigs ever. And it wasn't like you were getting an advantage out of the two bigs. If anything, I thought playing the two bigs actually hurt. And maybe the numbers will say differently when the data finalizes tomorrow in terms of the tracking data. But it wasn't like OKC was struggling offensively when you put two bigs on the court. If anything, it made him easier because you could get one of those guys in the action. How many times do we see the ball just flying around because Cornette got caught up in some sort Brissette of should have played. It, we were That's a great when, point. Where was Brissett? Because he had been, re- I thought he played well for this team over the past couple of weeks. He's 100%. a DNP. Uh, what was the game you and I and Chad Finn were texting? He played, oh, that Clipper game. I went to that game. Where he played 18 minutes, they blew him out, but he was four for five from three. And it, it felt like Joe was kind of getting into a rhythm with, okay, these are the guys. And Kata had a really good game that game. Then Kata sucked against the Lakers. Um, but I felt like Brissett, I think his minutes have been yanked around. I think it's a mistake. Like, especially, well, you're right, a game like this, why are you playing two bigs against a team? They're dying for the other team to do something like that because they're small and they're, but they want, Give us big and slow. We're going to be able to move the ball around and attack them. I I think Dagnall is such a good coach. I mean, he's clearly, unquestionably, a heavy coach of the year favorite right now. But you look at, like, you know, they're playing. Wallace played 17 minutes as a rookie. And, by the way, did not did they did not look great when he was out there. But even, like, he uses Isaiah Joe. And sometimes he'll play a lot of minutes this game. He only played 13 minutes. But he has such a feel over... Who are my guys in this? And I've seen him like pull the plug on Giddy, where Giddy will just like, oh, Giddy doesn't have a net, he's out. But he saw something with Giddy in that matchup today. And uh, I thought their best five played against our best five really, really well. Hey, we got, think about this. If I told you Porzingis was going to score 34 and that we were going to have 29 free throws and 33 assists, would you have said we were going to win? Handily, like by 15, 20 yeah, points. Yeah, it's like, oh, we, uh, we blew out OKC and OKC, but they, you know, they scored 127, and Shea didn't even really do that much in the fourth quarter. I bet he had, what, four points, six points, something like that. Yeah. Like, that was not the, it wasn't his usual, like, lay the smackdown end of the game stuff. It was Chet, and it was that Jalen Williams possession. Yeah, there's a couple of things in there. It's like, first of all, just circling back to Brissett. And I know the Celtics were able to get some offensive rebounds, but that's something that he does well. OKC on right. the season gives up the tw- or 29th in offensive rebounds against at 13. I thought that, especially because it felt like when they didn't get the offensive rebound, we know that they're the best transition team in the NBA, so they were getting burned on the other end. If you have a more athletic guy like Brissett, I think that sort of helps you instead of Cornette. And then the big picture stuff you were mentioning, the thing that scares me about this Thunder team, I do think like, say it, knock on wood that this happens, they both get to the finals. That's a difficult matchup for the Celtics. And 
OKC now, like we think about these windows for the Celtics, it yeah. kind of scares you looking into the future because they're going to have Chet forever. They're going to have Shea forever and they can make a move if they really wanted to this upcoming trade deadline. I, well, I don't look know at what... the three, like Kenrich Williams played 13, Wiggins played 13, Michich played 11, Isaiah Joe played 13, but you take two of those guys and just give 26 minutes to like a kick-ass dude who becomes like a seven, eight-man rotation guy. Um, I Listen, they to me, they're one of the five teams that can win the title, and Shea is one of the best five players in the league. And for them to not pursue this seriously, I would be, if I were them, so encouraged by what I saw from Chet, not only in this game, but against Denver, against Minnesota, a team that you think like, oh, Minnesota should be able to overpower them. They just have Chet that in. Chet holds his own. He's tough as hell. He protects the rim. He's really crafty with SGA and that high screen stuff. I think that's their hardest play to defend. Like you're, if they put a little switch and or Chet pops off, your big guy better be ready to fly out there, anti Rob Williams style. I think they're really hard to play. But on the flip side, like I, it's weird the Celtics lost, but I this game made me feel better about them. The fact that they were smart enough in the fourth quarter to put Tatum on Shea, I thought was. I was kind of proud of second row Joe. I was like, okay, you did it. I didn't know if you were going to have the balls to do that. You did it. And from Tatum's standpoint, all right, don't get in the hero ball contest with Shea. Like, fucking guard him. Take him out on that end and trust your teammates. And I I thought that was really encouraging. Yeah, and the fact that Tatum wanted the matchup too because you could tell that he wanted it. And we've seen him do it before going back to a couple of years ago against Kevin Durant in that series against Brooklyn where Durant was like horrible against Tatum and Tatum deserves a lot of credit for that so maybe that is something because I do think we talked earlier in the season how this is sort of an adjustment period for Jalen but Tatum in this game had to have realized that hey this is going to be more of a Porzingis game and I know he still finished with his 30 points and all that but Porzingis at times and in a lot of games is going to be the biggest advantage the Celtics have so that means that Tatum's going to impact the game in other ways we've talked in the past about how he's a great rebounder but on the defensive end of the floor Taking on that matchup was huge. And I do think, going back to your point about how this is sort of encouraging, I think the big thing we've seen in a lot of these wins is, and I know they lost tonight, but there have been so many games this year where I felt like if they didn't have Porzingis, they would have lost the game. So I do think it's sort of a blessing and a curse. The blessing is the fact that, okay, they do finally have this advantage. You've brought up on your pod before, like they were sick and tired of getting into these postseason series where their offense just gets stuck in the mud, it gets stale. And if the threes aren't falling or if Tatum or Jalen is turning the ball over late. So I think you now have that answer as long as Porzingis is healthy, because the first quarter of this game and really into the second quarter, the Celtics probably get blown out of the building if they don't have Porzingis in this game to just go to. With the way Shea was playing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think the one thing he can do too, especially in this game where that team likes to play fast and Indiana's going to, they're going to play Indiana again coming up soon. Another team that likes to play fast. Milwaukee, to a lesser extent, likes to play fast is, and I know it seems like not the most effective strategy because you're the Celtics and you're super athletic, but sometimes it's useful to just slow the game down and give Porzingis the ball because like when he gets the ball at the nail there at the free throw line, there's nothing you can really do. And because if you bring help, he's a good enough passer to kick it out. The one thing that I've been really impressed with is he just shoots over guys like it's it's yeah. as if the defender anybody that's shorter than him is it's as if the defender is not even there like i haven't seen well, did anybody you see him re- against wemby yeah it what was it like an inch apart maybe like an inch and a quarter they were he looks they small were, they were they you how how much taller do you think wemby was than him 
Is he two inches taller? I, I mean, would have said like an inch seven? and a half. I, I was shocked by, because uh, everyone says Porzingis is 7'3". And what you're saying, like on that foul line shot, you could feel it in the Detroit game. It seems like his shot's going to get blocked when you're watching on TV because you have this down angle on it, right? But every time he gets a shot off, nobody touches it, nobody blocks it. And the post-up stats, I mean, one of the things that's, I, I'm going to be interested to see how they experiment with it as the season goes along. Porzingis, I think, is second for post-up per 100%, like his points per possession on post-ups. He was at like, I think it was 1.48 points per 100. Yeah. But then Tatum was seventh, and I think Jalen was like 11th. And there's always somebody that's too small for one of those three guys, whoever they're playing. And I think as the season's going along, they're starting to figure out like, oh, you're going to guard Porzingis with him? Okay. And they're kind of surgically taking this stuff apart. So I, as I watch them, I just feel like this team is starting to get more sophisticated over who they are. Also, like Porzingis hasn't shot the three that well. And this is something that if – you know, this is what part of the advertisement with Porzingis, right? He's supposed to be this 40% three-point shooter. We haven't seen that piece totally yet. When that gets unlocked, I don't know if the Derek White three-point shooting is sustainable. Like, I mean, I know everybody's been talking about him for five weeks, but he made three of, like, the craziest threes of the season for him. Like, the, like kind of coming off a semi-fast break, one-footed, off-balance threes. Like, he was, uh, I don't know, Paul Pierce in the mid-2000s. Um I'm not sure how sustainable that is, but I do think Porzingis can get better. To uh, highlight the point you made, so Porzingis is at 1.48 points per possession on post-ups, and Tatum is at 1.23. And the best offense in the NBA is like 1.22. So those are both... And, by, and both of those are top seven, right? Porzingis is yeah. like second? Yeah. Yeah, Porzingis is one of the most... He's been... He, at, he, for a while, he was the most efficient post scorer in the NBA. He's dipped a little bit below that, but I mean, he's still as efficient as all hell. But the other thing you mentioned about Porzingis and the three-point shooting, even if it's not there, the fact that he's willing to take it from that deep, guys are still defending it, right? Like, yep. this is the difference, and there's a, a lot of differences between the two players, but even when Al was having that outstanding shooting season last year where he's top five in the NBA in three-point percentage, he was never defended like this. With Porzingis, the defense is still freaked out about it. Now, Derek White, I still think that he can finish the season north of 40% from three. I think he's good enough to do that because a lot of these are standstill threes that he's getting. The one thing that he actually has been doing... How about 50%? Because that's where he's been for like five weeks. I I don't know if 50% is realistic. Yeah, well, all these... All these guys, the top, your top eight rotation guys, with the exception of Jalen, who actually did shoot 38% from three in December, outside of Jalen, Tatum, and Porzingis, the rest of those guys, Hauser, Pritchard, Al, White, and Holiday, they all shot north of 40% from three in yeah. the month of December. And the other thing the Celtics did a lot better this past month in December compared to where they were at earlier this season is we actually finally saw them do other things besides take threes. Like, if you just take their last six games prior to tonight, fifth in points per game in the paint, their first 26, they were 26. The free throws, they and they took a bunch tonight, as you mentioned. They were 11th in their last six games. Their first 26, they were 24th. And they did mention, Joe Mazzulla mentioned it, but also guys on the team mentioned, they found different things offensively. Like they were actually playing faster. They were getting more fast break points as well. So I do yeah. think if is that sort of starting to come together? Because 
I felt like the offense was sort of behind the defense earlier in the season, and I do feel like they've sort of found, and a lot of it goes with Jalen outside of tonight, sort of finding and his Derek group, playing but, better too. Did, yeah, and Derek, Derek White playing better, and I thought Drew finally shooting the ball better as well. Until but, tonight. Um, the Porzingis, one thing I've been surprised, I, you know, I obviously followed his career and watched him and saw him a bunch, but I, I was not watching him on Washington. I felt like at Dallas, he was kind of an afterthought on the side. He's a really good transition player. Like in the air stuff, alley oops, um, hustling down. Like he really, he hustles. I think way more for points than I was expecting. Like he's a really hungry player, and I his great know, hands. Like he catches totally. the like he, when when he's rim running, he'll catch these passes like on the break where I'm like, you probably shouldn't be throwing a seven foot three guy that pass, and somehow he makes the catch. And the other thing I think he does too. Don't well you think he's like a phenomenal athlete? Like I, I'm he's, actually kind of stunned by how athletic he is. I am too. And the way that he finishes with traffic around him is incredible too. Like, and to your point, I, I remember when the Celtics were in, I know the Celtics have been interested in him for a couple of years, yeah. but when they made the trade, I'm like, look, and I'm not going to pretend that I watched a lot of Washington Wizards basketball last year, but I just yeah. remember looking at the numbers, like the post-up numbers and the two-point shooting, all that. I'm like, holy shit, like this is kind of ridiculous. This but is what House was telling me. Why That was his scouting report. He's like, here's the thing. You can't, you can't cheat with this dude. You can't put a smaller guy on him or try to hide somebody on him because he will take that dude down and score on him. And he was adamant like that was this part of Porzingis's game that he didn't realize he had. And I've been stunned by that. I've been stunned by the in the air stuff because I don't know. In my head, I just felt like he was this three point shooting, kind of stationary, clumsy ish, seven foot three guy. And he's not that at all. He's he's almost plays like. Uh, I don't know, like he's six eleven or something. It's it's he's really impressive, and they, of course, none of this will matter if he gets hurt before May. Well, and I do think that's an interesting component to this, is because what we've seen lately is he's not playing back to backs. He has not been no, playing they, back to backs lately. I know for I know, a fact they don't. They don't. They they want to get him a hundred percent. They're not messing around. They know who they are. They know they're going to be in the top. They'll be in the top three, right? They'll be one, two, or three, probably one. And Bede's been healthy the whole year. Dame's been healthy the whole year, and Dame does not have a great injury history. I think they feel like with what they have, they're probably going to be the one seed anyway, and they're just not putting miles on him. They're not going to do it. Well, I think it's smart. The one thing I don't agree with with the way they're handling this is we know that Horford isn't playing back-to-backs either, and I agree with that, but here's the problem. I don't know why they keep doing this thing where they play them both on the first end. And then they play neither one of the guys on the right. second end. I don't know if that's like an opportunity to get Kada and Brissett and Cornette minutes, but I would just separate that. I don't know why you need Porzingis and Al both sitting out when you know going into a back-to-back -back that neither one is going to play both of them. My only rationale behind it is I'm guessing maybe that's when they want to find out what they have with some of these bench guys. But it's weird now because Kata's sort of, it feels like now he's out of the rotation when he was in the rotation for a while. They've gone sort of back to Cornette. And I do think like, that's the one thing that I would like this to This was not out. a Kata game. He's, there's no. no way we were seeing him tonight. Well, he can't, he like, he's, he's not going to play defense against these guys, right? Like he can't, he can't play defense. Like he really, he can only play a drop and he's not really good in a drop coverage right now. But I the do La wonder. The Lakers like, game was tough for him. That I think yeah. that was one of those like, oh, okay, we got some work left here. But I do wonder, like, is there one more guy they need to give minutes to? Like, is Brissett somebody that needs to play yes. more often yes. than he does? Or are they going to have to address that at the trading deadline? I, I would just let Brissett yes. go. Like, I think he 
brings too much to the table not to play him. I think you're right on both. I'm going to go yes and yes. The, the thing with Kada, the, there's certain matchups where he becomes important. Like when it's somebody like a Zubats, where it's, and then he was great in that Clipper game because Zubats is a certain type of player. He rolls to the basket. He's, his arms are always around the rim. And it's perfect for Kada. The team tonight is not a good, like him against Chet Holmgren. Now I'm a little nervous, but I think like, you know, they, he was a, a high second round pick for the Kings two years ago, Kata. And yeah. the Kings are the Kings. So, and maybe just the kind of style they play, they just kind of uh, gave up on him. But I, to me, he's on a two way, but I assume they're going to probably lock that down by the end of the year. They don't need to anytime soon, but he's, He's at least a body for the playoffs. I still feel like um, if it's not Brissett, then they need to go find who that is. But the biggest thing for me is a defensive guard with size. I just feel like that's there's games, and you could feel it a little bit, even though Pritchard played pretty well today. There's games where he just seems too small when he's out there, and every guard and forward on the other team is six foot five, six foot six, and up. And um, there's just times athletically where I feel like he. It gets a little dicey, don't you think? Yeah, and especially in this game tonight. I mean, when he's you on Jalen Williams. Yeah, like he's given up too much size and he's given up too much weight. And this is somebody, me, that I like Pritchard. I think he's a good player. Me I too. think he's a very useful player during the regular season. But like going back to the Heat series last year, remember game one? I can't remember if it was you or Pina came on after that game. And it's like he's on the court when Jimmy Butler's on the court. And they just like right. immediately, Jimmy Butler like almost couldn't believe it in the fourth Hunting quarter. Season. He's like, yeah, like yeah. I'm gonna go and get him. So yeah, I just, I just wonder what they have resource wise, right? Because you're not trading like one of the top six guys. So from a financial standpoint, they don't really have a lot to trade. I mean, is it is it is it Austin Rivers? Like, is is he trying to make his way back in the league, or well, he's just living the pod life? There's going to be a bunch of buyout guys because we have four horrible teams. The bottom four in this league are really, really bottomy, and um, maybe somebody like that. Maybe, I don't know. I don't think they're that worried about it because once you get, you, you don't have to worry about it until February. The, the thing, if I had to worry about one thing, and I'm not 100% worried about this yet, but as you know, because we've texted about it a few times, it's like, where are we in Drew's career right now? What, what checkpoint are we in in the Drew Holiday experience? Because he looked, I would say, a half step slow from where he was at his all-time peak probably two years ago, 2021, Drew. Um, but we also knew he got hurt at the start of the season. So it's like, all right, he's getting... Then he really started to look good the last couple of weeks, and it was like, there's Drew Holiday. Yeah, that's the guy. Um, and him guarding LeBron was great. I, I thought on Christmas, I thought he got in LeBron's head, which I didn't even think was possible at this point, but... Uh, LeBron was afraid to turn and dribble against them. And he really, I thought, affected the game. I did not think he was good tonight. And this was a game that I thought he was going to be really important in. And, and part of it might have been just what the, they were doing with the lineups and putting Porzingis on Giddy. I'm sure if they had to do that over again, maybe you just put Drew on Giddy and try to take Giddy out and make sure he doesn't have a good game. But, um, you know, seven points tonight, two for eight, two free throws. Minus 15. Um, they didn't play him in crunch time. Just yeah. It just kind of made me go, hmm, this is a guy who we were talking contract extension at the end of the year, and this was one of the two biggest games of the year, and he didn't play in the last five minutes. 
Yeah, and he had some real issues finishing earlier yes. this season. He still had some of those, and we saw that one play tonight where he tried to go up and under against Shea and he, or excuse me, against Chet, and he just kind of threw it up in the air. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. And I'm looking at the final game of the season for the Pats coming up against the Jets, of course, next weekend. I like the Pats on the money line to win that game, and I know it's not the best thing for their draft stock, but the Jets stink and the Patriots always beat the Jets, so I'm going with the Pats in that one. The app is so easy to use and there's so many different ways you can bet, like live game, same game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Pike and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus in President Select States. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. So I think going back to Al and Porzingis when we talk about Drew, I wonder if you got to start doing that with him a little bit. Not say every back-to-back he sits out, but maybe you got to start thinking about resting him because think about his career recently. Go back to last year. He's overtaxed in the postseason trying to be the number two option. At times, when Giannis goes down, he's trying to be the number one option. At the same time, he's covering Jimmy Butler on one end. Going all the way back to 2021, he's playing deep into the playoffs when he wins the finals. And then the following season, they have that grueling series against the Celtics. I just think there's a lot of mileage there. And the one thing I've noticed about Drew well, wait, is... Wait, hold on. I, on that point, he's yeah. over 1,000 games combined, regular season and playoffs now. And 1,000... You know, things have changed. And we're in the 2020s, guys, longevity, I get it. But the 1,000 mark is usually anything after 1,000. If you're still playing at a really high level is a bonus, in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm monitoring it. But anyway, go ahead. Well, and I think his biggest attribute now is not as like a guy that you just put on somebody to take out of the game. I think it's more about his defensive versatility. Like we've seen him cover Giannis and we've seen him cover Embiid. We've seen, they put him on Anthony Davis at one point during the third quarter. We've seen him cover LeBron. But what I wonder about with Drew is we talked about before the season, like, hey, this may be the best guy to cover Dame. And like, you can go all the way back to the New Orleans series that he played against them. I don't know if that is his best thing anymore. And it's not a problem for the Celtics because you have Derek White that can cover the elite guards like and I know that Jimmy Butler sort of gave it to him and Jimmy was talking back and forth him in that series against Milwaukee but I actually think at this point in his career he's better guarding up than he is actually covering like the traditional like whether and look this team may not even make the playoffs but like the Darius Garland types the Damian Lillard types the Tyrese Halliburton types like those quick guards I don't think those are his best matchups anymore I think it's more of like the swing the bigger twos the threes and the fours, and even to a lesser extent, centers. And it's good that you have Derek White the to do that. guys. Yeah, yeah, like I feel like it, we saw it a couple of times tonight. And look, Shea does it to a lot of people. But like he had Drew Holiday, they were neck and neck. And all of a sudden he's at the rim. And yeah, Shea, you know, Shea's not fair because he just he's destroyed every single person in the league. I, what you, I agree and I disagree with you because on the one hand, you're right. He's We've seen over and over again now, he has been unable to really truly lock down scoring guards. Um, on the flip side, I watch basketball every night. I don't see anybody doing it. 
and it goes back to like the stuff Steve Kerr was talking about a couple weeks ago about how hard it is to just play defense anymore. I don't really see any lockdown defensive point guard defense out there. I think White is the best defensive guard in the league right now. Him and Caruso are probably, you know, there's a couple other guys, but White, if you're going to say like who brings the most to the table defensively, it's probably Derek White. And there's been guys who have been going by Derek White all season, you know, because it's really hard to play defense and not foul. So I think what where Drew becomes really fun, especially if you're thinking a playoff series, is you know, that when he's guarding Jimmy Butler or when I know he did do it well last year, but when you throw him on Giannis for, for a series, when you put him on Embiid, he's, he becomes like a little Marcus smartish. Um, but I, you know, going team by team who they're going in the playoffs, like when they play Brunson, you probably going to have to put Tatum and, and Brown on him as much as Derek white, like length bothers Brunson. When you play Dame, I'm not sure anybody's staying in front of Dame if he's playing well. You know, and I, so to me, the, the bigger thing for me is his offense and how can you unlock that a little bit more? Cause I like when he has the ball, the big thing just in general for the season is that they trust white. It's by the week. They're trusting him more with the ball, the running, setting picks for him, having him in transition. That guy has so much confidence now with his three point shooting and getting to the room. It's unbelievable. It's like, I remember you and I were talking after the Marcus smart trade the number one reason I think both of us liked the trade so much, it was like, finally, Derek White can be unleashed because both of us believed in the stats. The stats were there. Like, when this guy has the ball in his hand, good things happen. And good things have been happening since they gave him the ball. And I wonder, like, you know, I know he was 25 and 5 in December. Do you think that goes up? Does he get to, like, does he become, like, a 22, 6 and 6 guy? Or, or is December the ceiling? I think this is probably where he levels out because I, yeah. I just don't think he's going to take many more shots, right? And yeah, I don't that's see fair. the, and I don't th think the percentages stay like where they are right now. I think they can stay in a similar area, but to expect to like 50, 40, 90 is, I think, realistic that he actually like finishes somewhere it's around crazy. there. But with, I just don't with, think. How about two blocks a game? Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, that streak he had where it's like, Ron Harper, he tied Ron Harper for four games in a row with three consecutive blocks. And then he had like the most blocks ever for a guard in like right. a six game span. Since How about the Michael one today? Jordan. Who was the one he had the block in the first half? Was that it, Shea? It, it, it was literally on a lob attempt. He broke yeah, up yeah. a lob attempt as, oh, as a, right. yeah, as a guard, right? Yeah. Speaking of that, like the, the two plays that Porzingis made in that in the first half too, where first of all, like Jalen got lost. He came over and had a block on Misich, whatever that guy's yep. name is. And then he had another one too, where... He challenged the shot at the rim. Misic passed it, and then he still got the block on a different a different offensive player, which was phenomenal. Right. To your to your point on White, by the way, he's in the ninety first percentile as a pick and roll ball handler, one point zero nine points per one hundred possessions. Like obviously, uh, Dame has way higher volume, but he's he's like more efficient than Damian Lillard. Not to say that he could do it on the same usage, but my point being that's how efficient he's been and. I do feel like at times like that is their best late game offense when they go. Now, Tatum did. A, I thought Tatum did a good job making decisions late in this game. But we saw I forget which game it was on the road trip. If it was was it the Lakers or the Kings, whatever it was like, it definitely wasn't the Kings. I think it was the Lakers where they played through Derek White and Kristaps Porzingis late in the game. It was like high pick and it. roll for Derek White. And it feels yeah. like he always makes the right decision when it comes to that. Well, in terms I was of thinking Drew, like, you today, do you see that they actually posted up Tatum on a play in the last minute where they needed a basket. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so they can go to NBA.com and cleaning the glass. And they, they're starting to realize that 
Actually, this is one of the eight best plays you can run in the NBA right now. Well, and that's what I think. I do think that they're doing a better job of just like, hey, when Tatum gets a switch, just give it to him. Because that's the one yeah. thing that aggravates me about Tatum. His post-up numbers are great. Actually, if you look at his isolation numbers, which have not been great in the past, they've been great this season. Better. The one thing, and he only took five threes tonight, which is like an accomplishment that he only took five threes, but he takes the fourth most pull-up threes per game in the NBA. He if took you a look terrible like, one with like four minutes left today. Yeah, and if it was you like look a at all the twenty-eight footer with 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 like twenty-two seconds on the shot clock, and I don't get it. I, I don't know why he takes those shots because last year he's south of thirty percent on those pull-up threes. He's forty-four percent on catch and shoot threes, and he can get to the free throw line for the month of December. He's at like eight free throws per game. We know his finishing has been much better. He can post guys up. He can score in isolation. Why do you take a step back three, especially when there's a center on you? That's the one that I don't understand the most. It's like, here's the you counter. can pull he's, that guy out and go buy him. He's 26 years old. He's not totally the player he's going to be. And even this year, I feel like there's been some some good strides. Like him guarding Shea today to me, it's like, that, it's like a win. And it's weird. They lose the game, but I, I felt pretty good about the, about the loss. And then if I'm OKC... I just beat Minnesota and I beat Denver and I beat Boston and I beat Boston in a game where Boston fought back and it actually seemed like I might choke away the game and I executed offense at the end of games. So now I'm thinking I can play with any of these teams. This is not a fluke because we're at the, we're past the 30 game mark now. Like this is the rabbit stage of the season is over. Like the Indiana going, you know, 12 and four or whatever that like that, that shit's behind us. Now we're starting to find out, who are your flaws? Like Minnesota is starting to feel you've seen a couple flaws now. It's like, oh, if Mike Conley sucks in a game, they have some issues. Um, they, this OKC team's good. I think this Celtics team, when you think seven losses and six of them, two plays go differently and they could have won all six. Like it's hard to be upset. And the starting group, I believe they only have two, what, two losses together? Like this group that when they're actually all in the lineup, I right. believe this is only their second loss altogether but if you just look at it big picture wise like I don't see anything really Milwaukee can do outside of like if Dame just goes crazy but on the other end like the Celtics going to be able to take advantage of Lillard now I don't think it's bad for them yeah yeah their defense is really bad like there's this thing that was going around social media where Dame's like looking at where the screen's coming from and Halliburton just goes right by him he's he's been and like the numbers for the past couple years have told you that Lillard's just horrible defensively Philly, that's a team where it's like, okay, they beat the shit out of the Bulls tonight. Maxi's playing outstanding. Of course, we know what they have in Embiid. Is there a move for them to make? Like, well, there is a move. It's just, can they make it in time before, like, they lost out on Inanobi? Yeah, that's the one that would have scared me. Yeah. Yeah, that one would have scared me just because I feel like, okay, that's a guy that they can throw on Tatum. And the dirty secret about Philly is they've never had a guy to throw on Tatum. Like, they were trying PJ Tucker. Remember, they traded for, what was his name? McDan- was that McDaniel's brother that played for Philly last year? No, but it was he was he was yeah, like he, his the bad uh, McDaniel's. He was like, like his he, second cousin. Yeah, the guy that the guy that Tatum when he was playing for Charlotte put fifty on, and that's the guy. Well, that I'll tell Philly you, ch- if they keep Morris and they have the Batum Covington Morris, like that's at least better than what they had last year. And Morris does have the big brother little brother thing with Tatum. Maybe it won't matter anymore, but I assume they're going to make a trade. And I assume Miami's going to make a trade. They have Lowry's expiring and. Maybe they'll get into Mitchell if Mitchell becomes available, but Miami's going to do something. The one, the one thing that I feel better about with Miami this year compared to last year, and you're right, they probably will make a move, and maybe it's a big move. I mean, who knows? I, 
I mean, I wouldn't be trading for Zach Levine, but if Zach Levine got traded, they're for not going to do that. I, I, okay, so but I would say like if if he got traded to any team, and I was worried about it, it'd only be Miami because they like somehow get the guy right. But the reason Miami doesn't, yeah, like, you're right. And I'm I'm gonna hate to say this, I'll knock on wood. The reason they don't scare me as much as they have in the past is like I feel like Bam last year could just muck everything up because yeah. of the offensive personnel. Now, if he's not on Porzingis. It, then they have real trouble because then you can just give it to Porzingis and he can score in the post. So I think that Bam's going to have to cover Porzingis in a potential playoff series. And I, I feel like that's sort of going back to this whole theme of why they traded for him. I think that's the biggest difference going back to this season compared to last year. Like, that's the one guy they can't lose. Like, I think they could actually win a playoff series, not the finals, but they could win a playoff series without Tatum. Or they could win a playoff series without Jalen. Now, not for the entire postseason run. I don't think they can win a championship that way. But if they don't have Porzingis for... Philly, Milwaukee, or the Heat, I think they're in trouble. Agree. He's, we've said it before, he's the superpower of the team. He's the guy that raises the ceiling. You go from being a 10-story building to being a 20-story building, literally. I'll leave you with this. The next couple games, they're playing the Jazz at home on Friday. And then they have this weird, for some reason, they're playing in Indiana two more times, which I don't understand it's, at it's all. It's this baseball series stuff that they're doing I, in the NBA But now, we already like, played in Indiana. So now this is somehow three Indiana games. Then home from Minnesota, at Milwaukee, and then home Houston. So those are that basically the next, that's all in like the next, uh, they have a break and then Friday, and then it's like five games in eight days, something like that. All of those teams bring something different to the table. Like Utah's just a weird team. They have these guards that attack the basket. Marketing's tough. Kessler protects the rim, but they're it's they kind of ride whatever the hot hand is. Will Hardy. So, and that's a classic terrible Celtics letdown game where it's like, wait, we're losing by 18 at home to Utah. What's going on? Then you have the Pacers team, which has proven they're not afraid of the Celtics, and they'll go run and gun, and you try to play our pace. Timberwolves beat them already and had the McDaniels Edwards combo. And then the Rockets is Eme coming back. Yeah. So, and, and with a team, you know, Shangun, I think is going to be problematic for them. But I think so that will be January 13th against all the playoff games. But after three, those six games, I think we'll have a really good feeling on what the ceiling of the Celtics team is. And I think okay. that ceiling, I think they're the best team in the league. Them losing barely to OKC today doesn't change that in my head. I thought it was a better win for OKC, but um, but we'll see six games from now. All right. Well, two questions, actually a comment and a question to the two things to what you laid out there. Yeah. Marketing that would scare me if he got traded to somebody in the East. Like How about Billy's, OKC or yeah, OKC. That's a great one. I mean, he's one of the best catch and shoot three pointers in the uh, shooters in the NBA. Like, what if Philly got in on that? That, mm. I just don't think he's available. I never believed that he was available to begin. Why would you trade him? They have a million picks already. What do they need to trade him for? True, and I mean, but I mean, I will say, in like Danny's, def like Danny's got a lot out of the. Like, think about the True, Mitchell. He doesn't and the, care. Yeah, yeah he'll trade like, anybody. Yeah, and if they're a couple of years, obviously they're a couple of years away. Maybe they go out and do that. But the, the other interesting component of that is you see Will Hardy in the building, as you mentioned with Utah coming to town, and I know they're not having a great season. And then the Ime thing. So my question about the Rockets coming back, is your dad going to be okay like with Ime in the building, like going up against second row Joe? <laughs> my dad loves Ime, as you know. He's, he's still upset. He thought Ime was, it was, I think it was 
maybe in the running for his favorite Celtic coach. Um, Joe's been growing on my dad a little bit this season. He and I think Charles Lee has been a big piece of that because I think Charles Lee's been really important. But just in general, he's he he feels like he's seeing small strides in Joe. Um, but we'll see. He could turn on Joe in five seconds, as you know. Um, he he still feels like the three point thing drives him nuts. Even them yeah. losing today, but only shooting 43s is a huge win for my dad. Um, the, the jacking up just a million threes, he, just, he will never abide by that. Because my dad, he's been in too many playoff games, and he's just like, here's what works in the playoffs. And we know that doesn't work in the playoffs. We have you know 20 years of evidence now. So he wants them to attack the rim and play smart like they did tonight. So if they do that, he's happy. But yeah, he does miss have- me. He's going to be sad. I do have faith now that when they get in a bind this year on the playoffs, they're actually going to do the right thing and give it to Porzingis because I feel like we've seen it too many if times. It's the this matchup, year. yeah, yeah. So I, I do think that's a positive thing going. Can I ask forward. you a question? Did sure. they probably don't do a thank you email video? I'm guessing. I I don't think so. I don't think that's going to be available. It's, it's going to be super awkward. <laughs> I, I mean, they had a, they had a Kelly Olynyk and a uh, Kelly Olynyk video. Like, think yeah, about I don't it. think, think we're getting the thank you email video. It's going to be super weird, though. There's no question. Anyway, all right. Well, I wish we were doing this after a win, but it was good to see you regardless. No doubt about it. By the way, Charles Lee, Sam Cassell too. Like Sam Cassell and Chris Christie, I think have the most commercials on NBC Sports Boston right now. Sam Cassell, Zenny, and Chris Christie. I swear to God, wow. there was like eight. There was like eight Chris Christies tonight. They're paying for a lot of advertisement for in Massachusetts. I, I don't think it's going to go that well for Chris Christie, but that's just me. <laughs> Interesting move. <laughs> All right, that's the boss, Bill Simmons. Bill, thanks so much for joining us, man. I had a ton of fun. Yeah, good to see you. All right, great stuff there from the boss, Bill Simmons. That was a lot of fun talking Celts and Thunder after this one tonight, and. Just to echo what we're talking about, I'm not like upset that they lost this game. I thought it was a battle. I thought there were some things that we saw that were really encouraging from the Celtics, where ordinarily when they have these losses, it's like, why did they take so many threes? Why didn't they get to the free throw line? So I was encouraged when it comes to that. And just the fact that that was a very entertaining basketball game where the Celtics fought back in the fourth quarter. All right, we're going to chat with Chris Cotillo later on in the week. So we'll get into everything going on with the Red Sox as this offseason continues to be Just a bizarre one for the Red Sox. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll talk in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. 
Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.